Are you guys getting some good theology? Are you learning your Bibles? I hope so. If not, just come knock me up in the head, and I'll get a little, little simpler. You know, but it's like Peter said, that God has given us everything we need to live life in godliness, not through TV, not through prayer, but through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and goodness. I got a deal in the mail. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. It was called Entertainment Ministry. It was Bible Studies According to Andy Griffith and Mayberry. What you do is you watch a series, and then they have biblical principles and stuff that they get you know, from it, and it's a Bible study deal. You watch one of the Andy Mayberry, and the Andy Mayberries are great. I mean, there's great, good lessons in them. Well, they sent me another one, and it's Bible Study According to the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> now, what are you going to learn from Jethro Bodine? Probably some proverbs, you know. Where there are many words, sin is not absent. I don't know. But anyway, let's, let's get into Revelation. Isn't it great that God has given us his word? We don't have to be without. We don't have to be in the dark. It's like Joseph in that prison. He had that little flicker of flame. He gave him light, and it was God's word. And he just hung on to it. Well, we've got 66 books. He didn't even have the Pentateuch back then. And so we are not left in the dark. We've got something that we can cling on to. There's a story about a, uh, a rock climber who decided to scale one of the buildings in New York. And it was a smooth-faced building, but he could go up uh, scaling the cracks of the bricks and so forth. Well, he got up all the way to the top, and he was having to get over the, uh, the overhang. He was having to try to get around uh, one of the overhangs to, to go to the right of it and go up. And he was having a hard time trying to find something to, to cling on to. And so he saw this, this uh, thing jetting out from the brick. And he lunged to grab it, and he grabbed hold of it and fell to his death. And they ran over, and there he was, broken. His body was broken, and in his hand, he held a spider's web. He thought it was a precipice. He thought it was something that he could hold on to, but it was just a spider web. And that's tantamount of what people, or symbolic of what people are holding on to today. You know, they think they're clinging. They, they make a lunge out there to grab a hold of something, only to find that it's a spider web. It's nothing. It's some bad theology or something that some man came up with that's not biblical. We've got the Bible. When we lunge out to grab hold of something, it's not going to give way. So that's why we study it. That's why we're meticulous and exegeting. That's why here at Faith Bible Church, we hold to the inerrancy of the Word of God, the plenary, the fullness of Scripture. That the Scriptures in their original form are without error. And so we can take it to the bank. We can stand firm. That's where our boldness comes from. I tell people, people come up and you know, they'll, they'll encourage me and say, that's a great message, and keep doing that. I like that. But I have to give glory to God. I'll take the encouragement. But I tell them, I say, well, I don't have anything to say. I have to hide behind the Word of God because this is what we're listening to. So let's take a look. Let's finish 19. <clears throat> and we're heading to chapter 20 where you hear most of the catchwords in Christendom. You hear thousand-year millennial period. You hear the lake of fire. 
you hear the Battle of Armageddon, the final countdown, and you hear all these different catch words. Well, most of them are right here in this section. Now, last week we looked at the second coming of Christ, chapter 17 and 18, the destruction of the religious system and the political system, which is symbolically called Babylon, which was the first rebellious system towards God and his commands back in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. In chapter 19, you see all of heavens shouting out, Alleluia, because God's kingdom will now be established. God has now dealt with wickedness. At the cross, Jesus dealt with the penalty of sin. Adam and Eve in the past and forward. Uh, Christ's death on the cross deals with the power of sin. Now Paul says in Romans that, that uh, you and I are not to use our members of our bodies for sin. We are no longer masters to sin. We have the power to overcome that. And he will deal with the presence of sin, the very presence, and that's what you see in 19. It is gone, and all of heavens rejoice. And then you see him come down, and he's riding on a white horse, which shows victory. And he's called faithful and true. Uh, he has diadems. He has crowns upon his head. You know, it's like that song we sing, crown him with many crowns, the Lamb of Calvary. And it says he has a name written on him that no one knows. And the idea there is that uh, sinners and those who are on the earth will not know him. Paul says we see dimly. It's a poor reflection in a mirror. He says when we get to heaven, we shall know fully. He says now we see him just a little. Then we shall see him. We will know him face to face. First uh, John says uh, we shall see him as he is. So the idea is you can't see him as he is until he comes and he reveals himself, a name that no one knows. But then it also says his name is the Word of God, and that's the name in which you and I are redeemed by. Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the Word of God. <clears throat> and then it says he has written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings means that he is the King of Kings. Uh, in the Old Testament, you had kings, but they were not King of Kings. That it was commanded, and I think in Deuteronomy 6, that all the kings had to have the Bible or the, the, uh, the uh, Pentateuch or the law. And they had to, and they were commanded to read it every day because they weren't king of kings. God is the king of kings, and they were underneath God. God ruled. It's kind of like Camelot, King Arthur. You ever saw that movie, First Night? Great movie. He says, uh, here's a round table. No one's the head, no one's the foot. God is. And God rules. And they prayed to God. That's the idea. That the kings had to put themselves underneath God and they had to read that Bible. Well, here, Jesus is referred to as the king of kings. There's no one higher than he. And he's Lord of lords over all things. And verse 17, let's pick it up. That's where we left off. Okay, so here comes Jesus in victory. The armies of heaven are following him. That's us. We saw in verse 8. They're wearing fine linen, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and we're following Jesus, who is faithful and true, the Word of God, King of kings. Okay? Priest, prophet, and king. Now, he's going to come down with us following. This is the establishment of the promised thousand-year millennial period. Now, in the Old Testament, you won't see thousand years. In the Old Testament, all you see is Jesus Christ or the Messiah, establishing his kingdom and when he does so the curse that was pronounced in genesis chapter 3 will lift from the planet evil will be done away with god's people will be exalted to their rightful position of ruler over the creation this is that event 
wicked men that are left on the earth will not like it. This is the end of the, of the seven-year tribulation period. And what you've got here is the good and the bad, how God's going to deal with them. Now, in verse 17, John says, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God. Now, the idea is he's seeing this angel standing in the sun. It could be that it's the appearance of, like if you've got somebody standing in the sun, there's like an uh, aura of glory surrounding them. If they're blocking the sun, also it casts a shadow on the planet. And so he looks up and he sees this glorious vision or image casting a shadow on the planet, which means judgment is coming. And he calls to the birds in a loud voice. And the reason he says it in a loud voice is so that all will hear and there'll be no mistake. You come, birds, so that you may eat your flesh of kings. That's political leaders. Generals, that's military leaders. Mighty men, those are your philosophers of the day and your intelligent men and those who depend on their strength and so forth. Of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. No one will escape. God's going to deal with the enemy, finally, and the presence of evil. Aren't you glad? Because we don't have a knee-jerk society, do we? Someone does something to you, mocks you, cuts you off on the road, does you wrong, cheats you in business, and you want God to incinerate them. But he doesn't do it. He's patient. And the Bible says he's patient for a reason because his patience of not judging evil immediately means salvation to the lost. Now, you've heard me say it. Aren't you glad that God didn't judge evil? You know, some of us five years ago, some of us ten, some twenty. Now, of course, I've been talking to these ladies. Just some of them have been Christians for 50, 60 years. Put me in my place real quick, all right? So it means that God is tarrying for a reason. Salvation to the lost. Now, if you remember, uh, verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the feast. That's those who are saved. And you see some who are, are the feast. So, the good, the bad. You're either invited to the feast or you is the feast. One of the two. Now, verse 19. He says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. <clears throat> now, if you remember who the beast of the earth was, he is the political leader that rises up and he unites this earth economically and politically, and then we see him make an alliance with a religious leader. Uh, it says that Satan gives him his throne, his authority, and his power. I think Satan has had someone to fit this bill in every generation because he does not know when. He knows the events, but he does not know when. I think the Antichrist is alive today that can fit this bill. Will God bring about the end of the earth right now in our lifetime? Don't know. I hope so, but we don't know. It says the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. All right? That's the religious Antichrist. That's the beast that comes out of the earth. So you've got a beast that comes out of the sea, the political leader, the Antichrist, who unites the world politically, economically, militarily. And then you've got the beast that comes out of the earth, which is a religious leader, someone who has brought together all the different faiths of the world, and they unite, church and state. 
And then if you remember, chapter 17, he turns on the religious leader, destroys them, and then God destroys uh, the political system. But these guys are still alive all the way to the end. And it says they're captured. And it says they're the ones that deceived the earth by these miracle signs and wonders. Uh, they're the ones who had deceived people to receive the mark of the beast. Remember, they could not buy, sell, or trade unless they pledged allegiance to this system, which in our lifetime we can see uh, chips that are inserted into people where you can scan them and then all your financial transactions can be done through this chip. It says the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Okay? Now this is the final resting place for the wicked. This is called the lake of fire. This is called Gehenna by Jesus. Now you've heard me do a little hellology, right? You've got... Uh, in the Old Testament, three compartments for hell. You've got Abraham's bosom, where the righteous people went as a holding tank until Christ came and satisfied the justice of God. Therefore, man could be accepted into heaven. We saw that in Luke 16. You've got the abyss, or Tartarus, which we see in Peter, where those angels who sinned in Genesis chapter 6, they were able to take on flesh, human flesh, and mate with women and try to create a demonic race of people. And God locked them up in the dungeons of Tartarus. We saw them released in chapter 11, I think it was. They were the demons that had hair like women and face and nasty-looking teeth and breastplates of iron and the tails that stung like scorpions. And then you had Sheol, which was a holding place for the wicked. So those were the three compartments that you had in hell. The lake of fire, nobody has been put in there until this time. There's still no one in there right now. It's the final place for the wicked. We're going to see here in chapter 20 that all those who did not follow Christ and obey his gospel, like Paul says, will receive a new body and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. It says here, these two men are thrown into the lake of fire bodily. Now, there's different views on hell of what it is. Some say that God or Jesus used it metaphorically, that it just means separation, that there's pain and anxiety. But he, every time he spoke of it, he, he spoke of it of a literal place. He spoke more on hell than anybody in your Bible. You know that? He spoke on faith, love, and hell. And he spoke more on hell than he did on those other two topics. He referred to it as a literal place. He referred to it as Gehenna, which was the Valley of Hinnon, which uh, in Old Testament times they would sacrifice the babies in the fire. In New Testament times, it's where they burned all the rubbish and all the dead carcasses of animals. And it was a continual fire that burned. It never went out. And so he was basically using that, saying, look, you know how Gehenna, this valley, continually burns and never goes out, and you smell it, and you see it incinerate everything? That's how hell's going to be. But the only difference is you won't get incinerated. There's no such thing as annihilism. Let me show you something. In chapter 20, the devil gets thrown into that place after a thousand-year period. And guess who's still there burning? Look at verse 10 of chapter 20. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they, you see that pronoun? They will be tormented day and night. For how long? 
forever and forever. Now, this is not real popular doctrine to teach. When's the last time you've gone to church and heard a good message on hell? You don't hear it. Now, they used to make fun of the old Baptist preachers because they'd go up there and preach fire and brimstone and pound on the pulpit. But now you don't see that anymore. And you must teach, like I was saying earlier, when you present the gospel, balanced doctrine. If you're going to teach the love, mercies, and the grace of God, you must also teach the justice of God and the punishment of God for those who do not believe. And here it says, there is a literal lake of fire where those who are disobedient to the gospel who do not believe in salvation through Christ and his shed blood atoning work on the cross will burn in a lake of sulfur forever and forever. Now these guys are thrown in bodily. Those who are on Sheol, which is a holding place, will come up before the great white throne judgment and they will be judged. And then they will be given a new body, a physical body, not a glorified one, and then they will be thrown in the lake of fire. And it says the smoke of the torment will go up forever and forever. So it's not a place you go and you burn for a little while, and then that's it. You no longer exist. Because when God created man, he created him eternal in the spirit. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. You're made in the image of God. It's eternal. Okay? It doesn't mean that you were pre-existent eternal. It just means that your spirit is eternal, and it goes one place or the other. Uh, so there's no, no such thing as annihilism. There's no such thing as you going down there and it's a, and it's a great big kegger. You know, we see these people saying, hey, you know, we'll see you in hell. It's isolation. You never see anything pleasant, hear anything pleasant, smell anything pleasant, taste anything pleasant, or feel anything pleasant. All five senses will be feeling the most awful, miserable, terrible things that a human body can possibly experience. Just like the opposite of heaven, we will be experiencing the greatest things that all five senses can experience. That's the idea of getting a human body. There's a pastor one, uh, one Sunday preaching from the pulpit, and he was preaching on hell. And these teenage kids came in, and you know they were razzing him. They were unbelievers. I guess they just kind of ducked in and started heckling him from the back row of the church about hell yeah there's no such thing as hell hey pastor how far is hell what's the distance how far is hell you know they're razzing him and they took off and he heard them squeal their tires the whole congregation heard them squeal their tires out of that parking lot well the service was coming to an end and they heard a bang on the door they opened it up and there was a state trooper and he started asking questions about these three fellas have you seen them yeah they were sitting here can you describe them? They described the clothes, and they said, yeah, well, can some of you come and identify them? Because they're about two and a half miles down the road, and they're all dead. They wrapped themselves around that old oak tree. So the pastor got in his car with some of the congregation members and went down. Sure enough, there's those three dead boys laying there. And the pastor thought, well, for those boys, hell is two and a half miles down the road. That's how far. Okay? Now, it says in verse 21, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. So all wicked people at this point, the end of the seven-year period, are gone. Jesus Christ is coming. The armies of heaven are with him that are the saints. All those who died from Adam all the way up to the rapture, beginning of the tribulation period, are coming down with Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about those who died in the tribulation period? Hold on, I'll show you. Okay, you follow me? 
Jesus Christ is coming, the end of the tribulation period. The sword comes out of his mouth, which is the word of God, a rumphaya. It's a big cleaver, and it cuts and hacks everything. He treads the winepress of the fury of his wrath, it says in 14, Revelation. Uh, this is the battle of Armageddon. All the kings come together. They try to fight Jesus coming down, try to blow him out of the sky. It doesn't happen. And he destroys all unbelievers on the earth at this time. And you and I and all those from Adam forward that are raptured up before this tribulation period are coming down with him with a new body. Now remember the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4 and Corinthians 15. We will all be changed in a flash and a twinkling of an eye. We will receive a new body. Okay? One that will never perish. One that will be raised in glory. Now, chapter 20, here we go. Now, I've got a sheet for you. I've got it out in my car. A lot of good it does for me there, but I'll bring it next week. And what I've done is I've taken a timeline, and I've given you all the events that happened chronologically from the cross forward. Okay, the church age, the rapture, and then all the events in the tribulation period. And that'll really help. It'll help right here, but... Anyways, let's take a look at it. 21. And then he says, And I saw an angel coming down out of the heaven, having the key to the abyss. Now, the abyss was the place that was unlocked earlier, which was Tartarus, which is where those demons that were locked up from Genesis 6 came out and stung men for five weeks. Now this angel comes, and he unlocks it, and look what he does. Verse 2, he seizes the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan. That's all four names of the devil. The dragon, cruelty. The serpent, craftiness. The devil, diabolos, deceiver. Satan, adversary. Okay? And bound him for how long? A thousand years. Okay? And threw him into the abyss, locked it, and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, this is a literal thousand-year period. It's going to say it uh, six times in this verse, or in these verses. What you've got in Christendom are different views on the thousand-year period. Have you ever heard the word premillennialism, postmillennialism? Well, this is where it comes from. Millennium is a Latin word for a thousand years. Faith Bible Church is a pre-tribulation rapture church, meaning that we will be taken out before the seven-year period, and we are also a pre-millennial church, meaning we believe that Jesus Christ will come pre-thousand-year period, and we see it. I mean, if you just read your Bible and you didn't know the terms, you would say, yeah, Jesus Christ comes, and then the thousand-year period starts. Well, some folks believe in what's called a post-millennial period. Uh, meaning that Jesus Christ comes after the thousand-year period, and they believe that it was inaugurated at the cross, that his first coming. Okay, and then the second coming comes at the end of the thousand-year period. What's wrong with that view? At 1033 A.D., Jesus didn't come, and he didn't establish the eternal state, which is what we see after the thousand-year period, so we know that can't work. You've got amillennialism, which means there's no thousand-year period. It's just symbolic that Jesus is ruling in our hearts, that there really isn't a physical, earthly, thousand-year kingdom. Well, I'm a, I'm a biblicist and a simplist. I read the Bible, and to me it says, 
Jesus come with his saints. He wipes out the false prophet and the false political leader and all those who follow him. It says here he binds up Satan for a thousand years and he establishes his kingdom. Now, it says a thousand years six times, and it's a literal thousand-year period. Anytime you see numbers in the book of Revelation, they're literal numbers, and they're literal significance to them. Three and a half years, 42 months, a time, times, half a time, okay? So there's no reason to take this and say, well, it's symbolic. It's a literal thousand-year period. Now, watch this. Verse 4, he says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. He says, and I saw the souls who have been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. All right? So, thrones are set up. Does this sound familiar? Daniel chapter 7, you remember his dream? All the beasts that he saw come out, the last beast had these ten horns. One horn popped up with eyes and mouth that spoke blasphemy. That's the Antichrist. That's the tribulation period. But then he says, I saw thrones set up and then I saw one like the son of man coming and he took his place on the throne and then he saw the establishment of the kingdom here we've got thrones set up Jesus told the 12 disciples that they would sit on 12 thrones ruling the nations 1st Corinthians 6 says that you and I will sit on thrones and we will judge angels Ephesians it says we will rule with Christ on thrones okay so you're seeing the establishment of the thousand year period that was prophesied in the Old Testament where we're going to rule the planet and then he says, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus. Now, if you remember, you go back to uh, chapter 6, and you saw those under the altar who had been slain during the tribulation period. These are the martyrs that were killed during the seven-year period. Anybody who held to Jesus Christ as their Savior and went against the beast, went against the Antichrist, were killed for their faith. He says, I saw them who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Then he says something interesting. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have put or have part in the first resurrection the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So this is what happens. From Adam forward, all those who believed in the promises of God, the Old Testament pre-Christ were put into Abraham's bosom. When Jesus Christ came, because those in the Old Testament were looking forward to the time when the Messiah would come, the one promised in Genesis 3.15. They were put in Abraham's bosom. When Christ came, he went down and he led captives captive in his train and he brought them to heaven. All those post-cross who believe in Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. When they die, their souls, they go to heaven. At the rapture, those who are on the planet that believe in Jesus Christ die on their feet, their bodies are changed in a flash and a twinkling of an eye, and they're caught up into heaven. All those who have died prior to the rapture, all the way back to Adam, their bodies come out of the grave and meet their spirits in heaven. We good there. So what you've got is Adam forward all the way to the rapture. All those people who have died, their bodies come to life 
because their spirits are in heaven and they meet with their spirits in the clouds. All of us that are on the planet, we're changed, we get a glorified body and we're swept up with their bodies coming up out of the grave. So, all the believers are in heaven at the rapture. People come to faith during the tribulation period. And that rapture is a huge event, which I think really knocks a lot of people off their feet and they come to faith. Left Behind is getting ready to hit the theories. What, February 2nd, isn't it, John? You know? All right, the video's out, so watch that. What he's saying here now is this. Jesus Christ comes down, and all those who are raptured and all those back to Adam with their glorified bodies come down and set up on the throne. What about those who came to faith during the tribulation period and died? It says here, they come to life, meaning they get their resurrection body, and they live with Christ a thousand years. Also now, we've got another group of people, 144,000 Jewish people that were sealed, remember, in chapter 7, and they make it all the way through. They don't get killed. Revelation 14, they're standing on Mount Zion with Jesus, and here's the scene. He comes down, there's 144,000, they're waiting for him. The armies of heaven follow. You've got these guys coming up out of the grave who died during the tribulation period with a new body, and now you've got the kingdoms of party. What's the second resurrection that he's talking about here? Well, we're out of time. You have to come next week. <laughs> Study your Bible. Take a look at it. We'll see. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for revelation. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the milk of the word. Thank you for the meat of the word. And again, Lord, I pray that we just stay in it. Put a burn in our hearts so that we'll desire it like a baby desires milk and then put a burn in our hearts that we can't hold it in like Jeremiah. We must let it out. We must be like uh, 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 the guy in Job who said, uh, I'm like wineskins that's about to birth. I must birth. I must let it out. Let us be like that, Father. Let us pour this book into our minds and let it drip down over our hearts to encourage us to prod us to bring people to faith, to let us persevere. Thank you for this time, for this place in which we can meet. And we'll ask it for Christ's name's sake. Amen.